We are going to be talking today and speaking today really from my heart. Um, and the title of the sermon simply today is The Art of Remembering. Twelve stones. The Art of Remembering. Maybe another word instead of art would be the discipline of remembering. Um, maybe the reminder to remember. I want to read our text this morning is from the most popular passage that deals with 12 stones in scripture, but it's not the only one. And basically what I want to do today is I want to use the example of the 12 stones in scripture to jog our memory of of how good God has been to us. And you say, Josh, it's maybe it's your first time here today. If it is, I'm so grateful that you're here. Maybe, maybe you've been here for five years. I, I don't know your story but whatever your story is today, you can take what we're going to speak of and you can, you, you can look back in your life and you can acknowledge and remember what God has done. Our text this morning is going to be from the book of Joshua in chapter 4. And I, I don't plan to be long today. But I do want us to focus in on this principle of scripture. Joshua chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, great. If not, uh, you can open up an app on your phone. doesn't bother me at all. It'll also be on the screen behind me if you'd like to follow along. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? You shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them uh, to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. We thank you so much for your, for your provision, for your love for us through these years. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be familiar with the crossing of the Red Sea, led by Moses, a little more popular uh, crossing where the waters were part and the children of Israel crossed over on dry land, if you remember that, coming out of slavery in Egypt. And you had the Passover and all the children of Israel took off and they were fleeing and they came up to the river. They had the Egyptians coming on one side, the river on the other side, Red Sea, I'm sorry, on the other side, and they took across the Red Sea on dry land, and as they crossed and finished on dry land, as they were being pursued by the armies of the Egyptians, 
the waters went back to normal and drowned them all, and they all died. That's the most popular story. But this is a separate story. This is the second story as Moses passed away and Moses was not allowed to take the children of Israel or permitted by God to take the children of Israel into the promised land. You had Joshua come behind Moses and lead his people. And as he's leading them to the promised land, they come upon the Jordan River. They come up upon the Jordan River and they must cross it and they have the Ark of the Covenant with them that they cannot lose, they cannot fall. In fact, they cannot touch. People... A man touched the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament and he died. And so God once again parts the waters. They cross on dry land. And then Joshua says, The Lord told me to take 12 stones and to place them here in this location so that we would remember. So that we would remember, and not just that we would remember, but so that our children would remember. And so that our grandchildren would remember. And so that, and so that, and so that one day in 2022, as we open up God's word here in our church, that we would remember. These 12 stones have significance. And I want to give you three significant points about the 12 stones in Scripture today. Three significant points. Number one, I want us to see, remember his provision. His provision. We just read it, but I want to re-highlight verse 4 of our text in Joshua chapter 4. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. You see, Joshua wanted the people to remember that God always came through. That God always provided. That God always made a way, even when there seemed to be no way. He wanted the children of Israel to remember God's provision. Joshua, one of the, the, the people that followed him, the children of Israel, the, the, the millions of people that were following him at the time, to remember God's provision. And may I say this morning as I apply this, and if you'll give me a little bit of liberty with the text for this, for this sermon, if I, as I apply this today very directly, there's never been a need that God has not provided for you, ever. There's never been a need that God has not provided for this church. He's never failed us. He's always provided. He provided this beautiful room and campus that you're sitting in and that you're partaking in today to help us reach more families with the gospel. He has provided for this church and provided some of you the space that you needed in order to process and heal from some previous church hurt. He's provided that 
today. He's provided some of you the beautiful truth that Jesus saves. Some of you have literally come to faith in Christ as a result of this church. He has provided salvation. He has provided for some of you the friends and the connectivity that you so desperately needed maybe in a very important part of your life. He has given you friends. He's connected you with people that you have so desperately needed. He has provided. He is the provider. He has provided some of you the accountability that comes uh, with, with a church of our size and, and, and as young as we are that maybe you needed it but you didn't know you needed it. That accountability he has provided for you. For some he's provided a connect group or a serve team or a small group of people in some way in this church that has breathed life into your personal relationship with Jesus. All that to say this this morning, church, I firmly believe that Jesus has provided for this church. I believe he's provided for families and individuals inside this church. And I, today, as Joshua, and that's my name, um, as, as Joshua, I would say that we need this morning to, to, to symbolically place 12 stones at this five-year anniversary. And say, we're going to remember. We're going to remember some of the things that God has done for us. We're going to remember that he is Jehovah Jireh. That he is God, our provider. And remember this morning. I'm not opening this up today for testimonies. But if I did, some of you this morning could take this microphone. And you could give testimony of how God has provided Fill in the blank. Through this church over the last five years, however long you've been here. His provision. His provision, and may I say this, that the God who has provided is the God who will continue to provide. We're to remember his provision. But secondly, not simply remembering his provision, but secondly, remembering his power this morning. Remembering his power. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18 here in just a second. But this chapter tells the incredible story of Elijah. You remember that name? The prophets of Baal. The false prophets of the day. Those who were anti-God. And this passage, you may not, if you just have like a Sunday school remembrance of this passage, you may not remember the symbolic 12 stones in this passage. But here's the story. You had 450 prophets of Baal saying, Elijah, your God is false. Our fake, our, our gods of Baal are real. Our fake gods are real. Um, that's basically what they were saying. Uh, but no, our, our gods of Baal, the, the, the gods of, of humanity, they are real, and, and, and Jehovah God is not. And so they came together, they built an altar, and Elijah said, hey, listen, if the gods of Baal are real, call out to him and have him consume this altar with fire. And so they began calling out to the prophets, I mean, to the, to the gods of Baal. They began calling out to Baal. And they, he wasn't listening and nothing was happening. So they began yelling and screaming and dancing and nothing happened. They began, they began taking uh, stones and, and cutting their flesh in an effort to get his, the attention of, the, of the, the prophets of Baal, uh, the, the gods of Baal, to come down and to rain fire on that altar. And nothing happened. So Elijah... Just kind of being like a, a boss, man, let's be honest. He says, before I, before I call down 
the fire from God. Could you go grab those buckets of water over there? And would you douse this altar with water? Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Doused the altar with water. But that altar, that altar was made up of 12 stones. 12 stones. And in that moment, as God Almighty rained down his power over the dripping wet, soaking wet wood and completely consumed that altar with fire, that wet altar with fire. It was symbolic not only of the 12 stones, but as the 12 stones relate to the power of God. Can we read it real quick? Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, it's on the screen, in verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water. I love that. It licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The mighty power of God displayed on those 12 stones. The power of God. And may I say that God has not only provided for his church, but he has shown his power in and through his church over these last five years. And sometimes I think we're guilty of overlooking or not highlighting the power of God that takes place in the lives of the people that our church is able to minister to. Every person who has believed on the name of Jesus as a result of this church, has experienced the power of God in a mighty way in his or her life. Every person this morning that has been baptized here at this church has experienced God's power in a very real way in their lives. Every person who has come to this church, who has fought and battled and is overcoming addiction, has experienced his power here at this church. Every person who has seen their marriage strengthened at this church over these last five years, has experienced his, his power in their lives. I've literally sat in my office with a member of our church and prayed for something specific to happen in their life. Got up from praying with that person and walked down this hallway to see this person out the door. And by the time that person walked from my office out the door to their car, they turned around and said they were bawling, and they said, God just answered the exact prayer we prayed 45 seconds ago in your office. I've seen that. I've witnessed that. And sometimes I think if we're not careful, we kind of brush off the powerful things that God does. Because he doesn't come and, you know, split the Eno River, you know, so we can cross over uh, to the other side. He doesn't come and, you know... Uh, split Jordan Lake so that you can get over to the other side easier. He doesn't do those types of maybe uh, things that like, you know, are, are super obvious. I think sometimes we are guilty of not giving him glory and credit for what he has done. I've seen sick people healed in this church. And that's, 
his power. I've seen Carson roll in on a wheelchair, and I've seen Carson roll in on her feet in five years. Right, Carson? I've seen the people that were bound in sin set free because of the grace of Jesus. I've seen people that are that are in the chains of addiction break those chains through the power of Jesus. And this morning, I challenge us today not just to remember that God provides, but that God has been very powerful. He's been very powerful in your life, in my life, in the life of our church as a whole. And we should, this morning, we should remember. We should remember. Thirdly, this morning, not only should we remember his provision, as the 12 stones were there at the Jordan River, as the children of Israel walked through on dry land, not should, we, not should we only remember that, we should also remember his power. Those 12 stones there at the altar as Elijah caught on the fire and that wet altar was consumed. We should remember his power. But thirdly, we should remember his people. His people. Exodus 28, we'll read the text first and then I'll explain it. Exodus chapter 28, verse 15 says, You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones, that I might mess up their names. That's not in there, but I'm just telling you. The first row shall, shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, help me with that one. Jason, is that right? All right, cool. So exactly the, so exactly the way it's said. All right, cool. Uh, Jason, an agate, and a gate, that's Spanish, right? It's got an agate there, right? That sounds better. And an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, I'm assuming, you know, an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with his own name. And they shall be according to the twelve tribes. Now these stones were a little smaller than the stones at the river. They were a little smaller than the stones at the altar. But Moses here in the context of this story God gave Moses instruction on the way the priestly garments should be constructed. Aaron being the priest, the Levites. And this garment would include 12 precious stones. And those stones represented the names of the tribes of Israel. But it wasn't just a generic representation God said, I want each of their names written out beside each of the stones. We have some values here at our church we call family values. 
And I, I equally pray that we are always working toward or getting better at all of them. But one of them that I believe, I pray that God has let us be his church in, is names are better than numbers. Names are better than numbers. And I'm bad at names, okay? Some of you have come to church here a few times, and it's taken me a little bit. If I ever don't use your name, it's probably because I'm, like, blanking on it. Anyway. And I, I try my best. There are techniques. When you first hear someone's name, if you will use it back in a sentence in response to them, it helps you remember names. But one of the goals in our church is that no matter how God blesses us numerically, that you never feel like a number. That you never feel like One tiny speck in a really large ocean. You see here, the instruction to Moses was that we want to remember not just the 12 tribes, but individually the names of those men. And I say this as I prepare myself for next Sunday, as I prepare myself to celebrate five years with this church. That this isn't five years of going from building to building, even though we did that for five years. We've met in two permanent locations and six other temporary locations. And we are alive and breathing. It's not about that. It's not about the connect group leaders that we've been able to raise up and develop. It's not about the number of volunteers we have in our student ministry, kids ministry. It's not about creating a worship team and environment from day one really and see it grow and progress over five years. All those things are great. All those things are necessary. But all of those things, you know what they're made up of? Individual people. People. And as I personally look back on five years, and whether you've been coming here for five weeks, five months, or for five years, I think that you matter to God. And you matter us we say that Scott I want to know his name Cooper woke you up and I'm just kidding they've been coming for a month ish Tom I remembered it Tom Tom came for the first time when we didn't have church so uh two weeks ago when we met to go out and deliver all the the goods on 9-11 Edel, some of the newer, but then I also don't want to forget Bethany and Brian, Harrison and even Hudson. Because they've been here from the very beginning. 
Does everybody understand what I mean? I don't want to forget people. You say, well, this person, this person was just a part of our church for a blip. They came and they were, I don't want to forget. Because every single person that has ever walked through this door or that gym door at Southwest Elementary or, or pulled up the outdoor service during the pandemic or pulled up in Hillsborough at Vertical Church for a couple of Sundays or pulled up in Jeff's backyard or Tim's front yard, wherever we met, Every single person that ever walked through a door mattered. And whatever they were going through in that moment of their life, in that season of their life, it mattered. And I believe this, a church that, lost, that has lost focus on people has lost focus on its purpose. Listen to the statement. A church that has lost focus on people has lost focus on its purpose. People are the purpose. People are the purpose. And that is why we say, not often enough, you matter to God, you matter to us. Because you individually matter to God. He knows you better than anyone could ever know you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He can number the hairs on your head. For some of you, easier than others. CT's got an easy job with you, man. Good to go. Zero. No. But may I say this? And I I mean this. if, if, If you've ever felt this morning that you're a part of our church and that you don't matter, may I sincerely apologize? And may I say this morning, with every fiber in me that I, that I believe 110% of what I'm about to say, that you matter, your husband matters, your wife matters, your kids matter, your students matter, your struggle matters, Your issues matter. Your baggage matters. People matter. We could pull up this week to this building and it be gone, burned to the ground. Stop. But guess what? Steve still matters. We can meet next week in another church's fellowship hall. And Ben, Ben still matters. People matter. People over programs. People over processes. People over everything. I believe one of the most important elements of being involved in a local church, not in any sort of prideful way whatsoever, but I believe one of the most important elements of a local church is that you are known in a local church. So what does that mean, Josh? You are known, if you get involved and you plug yourself into a church, you're known 
Somebody in this church ought to know if you're in between jobs, struggling. Somebody ought to know if you're celebrating a milestone of sobriety. Someone ought to know if you're having a, one of those 25-year wedding anniversaries or 20-year wedding anniversaries. 25 is the big one, though. So go ahead and start saving your money now, Tim. You've got five years. Somebody ought to know when your kids excel at something and be able to cheer them on. I didn't have it in my notes. In fact, I've already closed them. But as an illustration of people, because they weren't able to make it today, about 18 months ago, a family showed up here. It was a husband, a wife, a little boy, a sister to the husband, her son, a mom. He worked at Lowe's, and a family in our church at the time invited him to church. They came, I was able to baptize the sister and her son. The husband was able to solidify his relationship with Jesus. He was a believer, but he had so many doubts and so many struggles, and we were able to solidify his faith in Christ. And last Sunday, that 34-year-old man lost his life. People. His, I, I knew him as Bud. Other people know him as Todd or Will. <laughs> he had a lot of names. Um, 34 years old, his son will be turning two next month. Tomorrow night, our church is going to be able to host our first funeral on our five-year anniversary. We've never hosted a funeral in the life of our church. But I think about that. I think about a hurting family. Honestly, I think about a family who some churches might have, um, can I be honest, some churches may have not like ignored obviously, but just allowed to do their thing and take their hands off. And they haven't been in three or four months. Their story is crazy. But one of those people got his faith secured in Jesus here. And you say, is God powerful enough to make sure that happened elsewhere? Absolutely. God can do whatever he wants to. But I'll preach the funeral tomorrow night for Bud, and I'll be able to stand beside Peter Hamilton, who invited him to church. And Peter and I will be able to give testimony of what Bud's faith was. Because people matter. And when people stop mattering, we have lost our purpose. And so I want you to, if you've been here for a little while, I want you to think. Think back on on the people. Think back on maybe families who have come and have gone and moved on, and that's the way church is. Think about the people that have come and stayed. Many of you are watching online. (laughs) Think about the people. And may we never forget the people. And I wonder if you're here today 
And maybe this is your first time at church. I don't know. I have no idea. But I want you to know this, that people matter here at this church for one main reason. It's because people matter to God. And God created you. We believe God the creator. And God created you uniquely. And God wants a relationship with you. But that relationship has been splintered and divided and torn apart by sin. Sin is a harsh reality in our, in our world. In fact, Romans chapter 5 teaches us that because of the sins of our fathers and our fathers and our fathers and our fathers and our fathers, I mean, I like to point out, originally it was the mother, I'm just kidding, but uh, the sins of our fathers and mothers, that we were born with this nature to sin. I ask every parent in this room, did you have to teach your two-year-old to disobey? Absolutely not. Your two-year-old was a professional disobeyer. You have to teach your kids to do right. Because left to ourselves, we will do wrong by default. In fact, if we don't do anything, the Bible says to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. And so we are born into this sin-cursed world with a nature to naturally sin. And that's a problem because God created us and God is holy and he's without sin. In fact, he cannot even look upon sin. And that's a problem. I'm a sinner and God can't look on sin. That's a big problem. So throughout the Old Testament, you saw sacrifices that God required of his people. And they were blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices. And they had to follow all these different rules, all these different standards to sacrifice before God, to show their allegiance to him, to show their faith. But God had a master plan. Romans 5 also tells us that God demonstrated or he wanted to showcase his love to us. He wanted to show us how much he loved us and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. You see, God sent his son Jesus. He lived on this earth a perfect life, a sinless life. You know, that sin you live in, that sin that we struggle with, he was tempted and never gave in. He lived a perfect life. The life we wish we could live. He died on the cross. He didn't die just so we could have a symbol to put up here. Even though I love the beautiful cross that we have in this building. He didn't die for a symbol on a necklace or for some painting in your house. No, he died for sinners. Like we all were. He died and he was buried and he rose again three days later. So he literally died and he was buried. And on the third day he arose. We, we celebrate Easter Sunday. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's when we celebrate it. We really celebrate it every Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus. But he rose in victory over sin. He rose in victory over death. He rose to give you life and victory. And may I say this? You matter to God so much that He sent His Son to die for you. I have two daughters. I don't love any of you enough to give up one of my daughters for you.
being honest. But God loved us. So loved that he gave Jesus. So you say, Josh, what does that mean for me? Well, it means that he's offered you. He's offered you a bridge. And that bridge is from perfect, holy, creator God. Sinful man living in a sinful world with a sinful nature. There was a gap, a big one. A huge one. And when Jesus died and rose again, it's called the gospel. When the gospel took place, that gap was bridged. But here's the key. At this bridge, there stands a person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. You will never be reconciled to your creator, God. There will be a void in your life forever unless you walk through the door that is Jesus. And I ask you today, have you ever placed your faith and your trust and repented of your sin and believed on the name of the Son of God? Simple question. Why? Because names are way more important than numbers. Because your individual soul carries so much more value than any program we could put in place, than any party we could plan, than any, than any five-year celebration next Sunday. Your soul has intrinsically way more value than anything else. And Jesus died for it. Would you surrender? Would you repent? Would you give it over? And would you believe in Jesus and Jesus only? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.